0: Hashtag Psychotherapy Unfogged with Mark Fielding Hello, welcome to episode 13, series 4 of Hashtag Psychotherapy Unfogged. As you know, I'm Mark Fielding, your host uh, and psychotherapist and relationship counsellor. Today, I have the absolute pleasure of interviewing Carlos Vasquez, elite mindset coach and motivational speaker, and also the CEO of How to Battle, a mindset development coaching program. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Carlos.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: I'm going to kick off with what I know is an enormous question because obviously I've researched you and know a bit about your backstory. Mm-hmm. But I always ask what our guests what per, what personal experiences they've had in life which brought them into the field, and I yeah. wonder whether you could just say a bit more about that. I mean, what what personal experiences have led you here?
1: Yeah. um, Well, I mean, a life full of trauma led me here. Um, Started when I was about 13 years old and I ran away from home, um, sleeping in the abandoned car in my friend's apartment complex. Um, Shortly after, got addicted to drugs, alcohol, um, became a gang member, um, exposed to a lot of violence, Um, a whole new lifestyle than what I grew up from. You know, I grew up in a good neighborhood and in the suburbs and, and it was like a complete shift, but that's where I found myself, you know, uh, seeking, seeking acceptance. You know, I found my father figure there and friends and it was exposed to a lot of things and which ultimately caused me to develop uh, PTSD mm-hmm. specifically after, uh, I saw my best friend commit suicide in front of me. That was like the, the big pivotal, pivotal point in my life. Um, And it it caused me to have nightmares. I couldn't sleep, started to become more violent. Um, And by the time I was 19 years old, I was on my way to prison for 20 years for armed robbery. And um, it was in prison. My first decade in, I was worse than what I went in. You know, I became uh, even more violent. And and about a decade in, I went to solitary confinement where I was in there for three years, which made things even worse. You know, in retrospect, I look at it like, With all the trauma and all the stuff that I dealt with at a young age, I never sought help. I never got therapy. I never saw a psychologist, nothing, because it was frowned upon in my community and amongst the people that I was associating with. It was a sign of weakness. And so I never even considered that. Like I always felt like this is how it is. You just got to keep going forward. And um, But I got to a point of suicide when I was in solitary confinement and I was going to end my life. And a chaplain came into my life and he encouraged me to, and he challenged me to not give up, but to keep going and figure out ultimately, you know, what my purpose is. And um, I took that challenge and and I started to work on myself and uh, in the process of working on myself, I started to read books about the mind and I started to read books about how one develops PTSD and how one you know, become was develop all the things that was going on in my life. Yeah, and then with that, I started to learn ways to overcome that. and and then time I did. And then I started to um, work on my own, you know uh, philosophies you know that worked in my life now which I put in my book so I could help others and teach others. And so um, now that's where I'm at now, personal development, you know, helping people. know become the best versions of themselves helping people overcome all the things that I once faced and uh, through my lived experience I'm able to connect with them and understand them and then you know treat them with you know years and years that I educated myself in prison and solitary and still to this day so that's how I got to where I'm at today and um, you know I found my purpose you know uh, and unfortunately I never was able to tell the chaplain that because I never saw him again but uh, I think that like I tell people, it wasn't so, you know, the chaplain. It was, you know, God coming to me in the form of a man, telling me what I needed to hear exactly when I needed to hear it. So that's what I try to be now—that person that tells people what they need to hear when they need to hear it to get them through one more day. And uh, I'm, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm doing pretty good in that.
0: Yeah, and and you know, looking there's so much, you know, in in your story that I could pick up on, but. But that moment with the chaplain, when you were, uh, you know, you, you were feeling suicidal, you were at your lowest ebb. I mean, goodness me, three years in solitary confinement. I mean, that is a long time to be to be in solitary confinement. But that really was the moment, that interaction, and I know you kind of slipped the Bible under the door, didn't you? That was the moment when you began to kind of turn your life in a different direction.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah it was in solitary confinement where I started my transformation yeah um yeah and it, it sometimes you have to be at your lowest point to start the transformation process and for me yeah i mean that's what it took and and i feel that uh i needed to be in solitary i needed to be alone i needed to be in solitude to, because had i not been there um you know, i would have never got to that point where i was ready to end my life and then i would have never met the person that challenged me to keep going and figure out what was you know what my purpose was so uh it was a you know solitary confinement is is a terrible place and even when i talk about it now it, it's still like you know gives me chills because um it's meant to break you and it really got close to breaking me like yeah. i was there and uh so i know like that from that point you know where people are like i talked to you know even now like they're at that point. They're like how I was in solitary at that point. And, but I don't I always look at it like, you know, if I could make it out of that, so can they. And so that kind of you know, pushes me to not give up on my mission, my personal mission, but also on the individuals that I want to help. You know, there's always it's, it's never too late. There's always a way out. I think you just need the, the right help and you need the right guidance for, in, in order to do that.
0: Yeah, I mean I I really agree, you know, and I think it is true what you say, Carlos. You know, often for people, and I I mean, I want to say often for men, you know, I mean this is not gender specific, right? But I mean, men, I think particularly, often won't ask for help, you know, for all sorts of complex reasons, you know, and and it's only really when they're at their last moment, you know, suicidal ideation, contemplating the end, nervous breakdown, you know, whatever, that perhaps they'll reach out for, for help. I mean, I'm kind of wanting to ask you a little bit, I mean, those three years in solitary how do you i mean how did you manage your mind because i'm guessing your mind must have been busy because because there's no other stimulation Mm -hmm. i mean was your mind very busy i mean i'm guessing it probably was
1: yeah you know it was tough because um you know going into solitary confinement i had been in and out of solitary confinement before I actually went in for three years. So I've, I, I had a taste of it. I experienced what it was like. I remember going back there and there were men back there. They had been back there for 20 years. And when I went back there and they told me that I was going <clears> to <throat> be in there for three years, but ultimately three years was the time they gave me, but ultimately they didn't have to let me out at all. Because when you go to solitary confinement and you're um, a shot caller in, in prison and then you're in that gang life, they uh, they have different rules in there. Like they don't have to let you out. All they have to do is say, we still think that you're a threat to the safety and the security of the institution and we can't let you out. So we're extending your stay here for another year and it just continues to happen. So people were back there that went in with two, three years, never got out. And so in my mind, you know, the three years was in my mind, but I'm like, I may never get out of here. And so, yeah. um, and then being in an enclosed environment like that, not being able to see further than six feet in front of you, you know, it, it does something to you mentally. Uh, And to this day, like my eyes aren't the same as they used to be because of that, because, you know, looking far distances is something that I didn't do for years. Um, And those are the little things that people don't think about, you know, when they create these things to put humans in, which is really inhumane. Um, They don't know that like we, us by nature, are not meant to be confined like that. And it only makes us worse. So for me, mentally, the only way that I could escape that is just dreaming and reading and praying. That's it, because I lived my life through the books I read. I lived my life through uh, my dreams, visualizing them, like literally writing down all the things that I wanted in life and just imagining myself having them um, reading books like Man's Search for Meaning, where I, I I read about a guy who was in a worse situation than me. And it it got me through another day because it inspired me to like, if he can do it, I can do it. Yeah. He's a man. I'm a man you know, two walk, two different walks of life. But, you know, at the end of the day, we're both men. Um, and those things helped me get through it. Yeah. And, and so you just, and it's it's hard, like, it, you have to be mentally tough and strong. And had I not ran away at 13 and been exposed to gang violence and, and slept in an abandoned car, and had I not went through that, which created a stronger mind, I think, yeah. in me, um, I probably wouldn't have made it or I would have you know, end of my life where I would have never been this never been normal. A lot of people get out of solitary, and they're not normal. It just it, they never come back. And so I think it was just my life experiences created a mindset that allowed me to deal with adversity and still to this day. Yeah. So.
0: And, and I guess that, you know, obviously, nobody wants to suffer. But I, I guess, and I don't think this is true for everyone that suffers, you know, but but often I think suffering can accelerate personal growth, which I guess is what you're talking about. And I guess, you know, th- there was a lot of suffering. I mean, I'm looking you know, looking at the kind of PTSD and we don't have to go into that in any particular depth. But goodness me, it was complex trauma. wasn't it? I mean, I, in your book, you write about um Uh, being an eight-year-old and witnessing you know a a, a friend you know having a terrible accident on a bike so so I guess the trauma started there and then you know subsequent experiences just kind of added to it so I guess I guess it gave you a bit of uh, quite a lot of mental resilience so when you're in solitary you drill on that I guess
1: yeah Yeah. I I believe so and that's why like a lot of parents that I talk to I always tell them like you know you you have sheltering your kids is, is damaging them you know it's hurting them you have to let them get out there and expo- be exposed to challenges and adversity too um, because that's life is hard you know life is, is tough they're going to go through traumatic experiences you're going to go through losses and deal with pain and if you don't exp- allow them to find some of that early on you know naturally you know like just through life then when it does happen you know they're not going to be able to bounce back from it yeah. And uh, I think a lot of the kids that I work with now, the reason why that they're such, you know, in a, um, a tough place is because of that. It's because of the parents, you know, are afraid to let them get out there and be exposed to things and challenge themselves yeah. and stuff like that. So um, I think me at an early age being exposed and all that, and I obviously, mine was an extreme and it's different. But, yeah, you know, just like you said, seeing that kid on the bike have that terrible accident when I was young, that was kind of like, you know, the my first real exposure to something really traumatic. and yeah. But it set me up to be able to now go survive in the streets, I believe. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then just kind of rewinding a little, I, I'm really glad you referenced Viktor Frankl and, yeah, and, and that book, because, you know, I'm a massive fan of Viktor Frankl and, you know, he, yeah, different kind of circumstances, but, you know, he, he managed to find the resilience to kind of get through, you know, uh, and, you know, Nazi kind of camp, didn't he? And there was, there was a quote that he uses that you also use in the prologue of your book. And between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. And I loved it. You started your book like that because I, I really, really love that. And I think it's so true, isn't it? The, the space is the time when we can choose. And I guess you started to choose differently from that moment, really, when your life changed in solitary.
1: Yeah, it did. It did. Yeah. You know, um, the power of choice. I think that if people really understood that they did have a choice, you know, to respond in the way that they want to respond to, no matter how bad the situation is, you yeah. know, it, it would help them a lot get through those tough situations. Uh, and even to this day, I I still try to practice that it's difficult, you know, to do it at all times, but, yeah. um, like I I aspire to do that because I feel that even if somebody else does something, that, you know, I have the, you know, I have the power to, to respond to that. Like they do something to me that, you know, trying to hurt me in a way, um, you know, I could look at it like, you know, it's that person's going through something, you know, that yeah. person might be dealing with something and I'm not going to take it personal. Um, and I have the power to say, I'm not going to let it get to me, you know, I'm going to be in control. And then there's something empowering about that, knowing that really you can be in control of any situation, no matter how bad it is then you will not allow the circumstances you're in the people around you, your environment to dictate your happiness and all that stuff. You'll be in charge. And once I got to that point in my life, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a lot you know, more at peace and I'm a lot more grateful and happy. And um, things just seem better when you're like, when you live like that.
0: Yeah. And it also kind of leads me to something else you say, I think in one of your interviews or one of your book about finding your purpose yeah. and that is also something i really resonated with as a person you know i mean and that is so important everyone can't find their purpose but finding you know if you are able i think to find your purpose as you've done it, it's completely life-changing and i guess it's really changed your life didn't it you've you got inspiration you know you push through the ptsd you found your purpose and you've moved on with that and even what you were saying about visualizing in solitary i guess that is also you're visualizing your purpose, you're visualizing the future. Yeah. And and I guess that is something that you teach in your, in your coaching program, I would imagine.
1: Yeah. Like you have to have a why you have to have a reason to get up in the morning. Yeah. And that's your purpose. And it may just, it it could shift, it could change. Um, You know, your purpose could alter and my purpose in solitary confinement uh, at one point was just, you know, my mom getting home to her and making sure that I can take care of her. Because yeah. I didn't love myself enough to feel like I had a purpose yet. You yeah. know, like I, I hadn't got to that point yet. It, it was, so sometimes when you really don't like yourself and you feel like you're not worthy of anything and you're at that point in your life, you, your purpose has to be something besides you. It yeah. has to be um, somebody maybe that, you know, you love some or even a, a dream. That could be your purpose, whatever. It's something that gets you through the next day. And then as you yeah. are able to evolve, you eventually you'll start loving yourself. You'll start taking care of yourself, and then you'll start to yeah. figure out what your purpose is, and then that'll compel you forward and push you forward every day. And now you have something to strive for. So I think finding what that is first is key, and that's one of the things I do in my program is try to help people discover what is your why. Why you, will you get up in the morning for? Do it for that. You know, if anything yeah. else, do it for that or that person, because um, that's the starting point.
0: Yeah, and, and I really agree. I mean, finding your purpose is so important, isn't it? And, and what you were saying around, you know, if you're if you're in a position where it's quite difficult for you to connect with your purpose in the moment, you know, making your purpose, you know, compassion for somebody else, I mean, that is also, I think, a fantastic way in, really. I mean, it kind of brings me back a little bit to, you know, to your kind of personal history story, because I guess your mum was on her own. I mean, your, your dad left. Do, do i remember that right and you know your mom was on her own. so i guess your mom was really really suffering really she was depressed maybe yeah
1: yeah yeah Yeah. she she you know she's she's been through a lot i mean since she was a child you know I, I, and I, I just recently talked to her about things that happened when she was a child you know so she's been dealing with trauma her whole life as well and um you know when my father left you know she went into a deep depression um, you know but but even with that she you know went and took on two three jobs um, at time one time she had three jobs to wow. try to provide away. Yeah. never never gave up and and yeah. you know I respect her for that um, and then my sister got pregnant at 16 and then another baby was coming around so and she she took the responsibility of that she became you know yeah. a mother again to to the to my sister's baby and it's like And she's even to this day, um, you know, she still hasn't fully healed. And I think that her wounds are just a lot deeper than mine. Um, But, you know, I've seen so much growth within her. And I think a lot of the growth has come because of the growth that happened within me. And so I think that it's a huge thing. Like if for us, you know, men, women, whoever's listening, you know, hold yourself accountable. And if you change, if you transform, if you start doing things right, you'll be surprised that the people around you they'll start to change as well yeah. and a lot of times we're unhappy because the people around us are unhappy or they make us feel unhappy but the best way to help people change is to lead by example and so um, that's what I try to do like she's still a part of my why my purpose so yeah um but yeah and you know I'm just grateful she's still around so we can you know enjoy time together
0: and and, and I guess yeah I mean i often think of it as like rippling out. I mean, I, I really agree. I mean, it's like you work on your own development, you know, and you 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 kind of, I don't know, transcend. I, I mean, I guess it's all about transcendence really, isn't it? You kind of maybe transcend, you know, what was a difficult childhood and you work on your own development and that ripples out to yeah. other people, you know, arguably to everyone really. I guess the more people can raise their consciousness, the, more, the, the better the world becomes, which I think is, is what you're saying really, you know, something that I, I really agree with. I mean, I wonder if I could just maybe segue into your work. I mean, I want to talk about uh, about your work. Can you just, just just say a bit more about it? I know you do many things. Um so yeah. Can you give our listeners just an idea of, you know, what you do and, yeah, the, the groups you work with?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, how to battle, you know, how to battle was something that um, I started when I first got out. Uh, I, I knew I wanted to get out and continue to help people. When I was in prison, I started organizing you know, uh, men's uh, program, mentoring programs. Um, I started doing self-help groups with, with lifers yeah. uh, before I got out and and started facilitating those and, and organizing those and then created my own. And And I knew that when I started to get those results from, you know, the men that I know have been through, some of them been through way worse than I had been. And we were seeing results. We were having breakthroughs. I knew that, you know, I, I could get, I wanted to get out and continue to do that because there's nothing more, you know, um, satisfying and helping another person emerge into the person that they could become. Yeah, and true. so I knew I wanted to do that. And so I got out, I didn't know where to start. You know, I didn't really have a foundation much. I, I just knew that that's what I want to do. So, um, you know, I put it out there in the universe, I guess you could say, and I just, I, I always continue to focus on it, continue to learn about what it would take for me to start a coaching business because um, I felt that was the quickest way for me to, reach people and then reach a lot of people and then grow it you know I always want to figure a way to grow so I started learning and in the process of learning and constantly thinking about it I started to meet more people that helped me to start you know my coaching program which is how to battle and I got the name because when I first got out I used to how to everything like how to create an email how to do a resume so I wanted a place um, where people can go to uh, Where they dealing with something, a battle in their life, and they can go there and we can help them, whether it's addiction, whether it's depression, uh, whether it's just limiting beliefs, whatever it is, you know, we could help you o- overcome that. We could help you become the best version of yourself. So I started that and um, just, just you know, single-handedly pretty much growing it, learning. And then I started to uh, work with the youth and, and I started to work with formerly incarcerated once they got out and seeing my impact learning along the way, because I've never worked with youth. I was in prison and working with men, but I learned that a lot of the same principles that I was applying with the men was working with the youth, you know, and I, I just adjusted it a little bit, created yeah. some more programs. And so, yeah, that's what I've been doing. And I've been working with schools and uh, working with foster group homes, uh, still working with uh, like individuals as well and um, continuing to learn and, and create my impact. I have a men's coaching program now Um, That I'm doing with a friend of mine who did 12 years, uh, creating another one, a faith infused coaching program, um, you know, hopefully to bring young people back into living um, a life uh, based on the word, because I feel like there's so much value in there. And that was the first book that I picked up and read after the chaplain had his conversation with me was the Bible. And a lot of the stuff we read in self-help groups today comes from the Bible. It's just it's just changed up. You know it's switched up in the wording and the way they uh, uh you know convey the message but there's so much value in there so and me like getting out where I started to meet everybody was in church. That was like I knew I didn't know anybody. I got out, went yeah. to church. Now all my great friends are have accepted me and they've helped me and they've they coach me and mentor me. And so I want to like help young people get back into that, into the church environment because there's so much value there. Um, so yeah, I've been doing that speaking you know doing my speaking telling my story doing my yeah, workshops yeah. yeah and then i wanted you know i finished the book wrote the book and um and had and been been it's, it's crazy i wrote the book for uh the young people that i was coaching and mentoring uh specifically in mind and you know i've been blessed to have it get into a lot of schools already um for the classes so um it's been great working on another book right now too
0: and I guess the mentoring, I mean, just to take one part of that, you know, I guess the mentoring for, for young people, I mean, goodness me, that's so important, isn't it? I mean, who know, who knows, you know, how many lives you've changed for the better, better, really, for doing that mentoring? You know, I mean, often kids, you know, from, you know, well, I mean, this wasn't your story. I mean, you weren't from, you know, a kind of poor neighborhood, but I think often kids from, you know, from difficult socioeconomic circumstances you know can end up you know moving into the wrong area really so i mean often through the lack of you know perhaps positive role models so i guess you are really providing that i mean that must be very satisfying work for you i mean all of it really the men's group as well i mean when you yeah. see I mean, when you, I mean in, in the men's group do you find men with men it's more difficult for them to open up in that environment or can men be you know we do a lot of we, we, we've done a lot of podcasts about men's health you know men yeah. finding it difficult to open up I don't know has that been your experience with running the men's men's group working with the self-help with the lifers does it take men a little bit of time to warm up <laughs> to yeah of yeah
1: yeah you know um, I think with the men like in prison you know I remember having groups of 30 and we used to sit in a circle and we would have a, you know a few people who like just wanted to share and they wanted to help and they wanted to get things off their chest and tell their story and then talk about their trauma and then now try to work on bettering it. You have those people yep. and you have the ones that sit in there and don't say anything. And, you know, I think that that's okay because that person that's sitting there and not saying anything, you know, they got up that day and they walked in there and they sat down there for a reason Yeah, and they sat down, yeah. they sat there and they, li- they listened and they listened. Yeah. And eventually that's when we sometimes like after a few weeks, they'll be the ones to finally say something and finally open up or talk to you on the site outside of the group. And and so I'm very hopeful when I work with the you know men's, men in general, like I know that it's in there and I know it's going to take a little bit to get it out of them for them to start yeah. the process. But I'm very um, I'm confident that it'll happen just because I've experienced it with men who the fact is that they showed up tells me yeah. everything. But now with the youth, um, it's a little bit different and it's, it's a lot more challenging. And I think that's why a lot of people don't uh, venture off into working with the youth, even though it's probably the biggest uh, problem that we have. And it's most important, it's because of that, like they just, you know, they can't connect with them. You know, the youth is yeah. different. It, they, yeah. they might just be there because they're forced to be there to go to school or to go to class or whatever. They might feel forced, but they don't really want to be there. And so you have to convince them that being there is the best thing for them to help them get to where they ultimately want to get to, which some, they don't even know. And so it's very challenging with the youth, which is why, you know, I do it, is because like, I, I feel that, you know, it, it's a huge problem and it's challenging. And, mm-hmm. I, and I know that I was once them and I know that I can, I can in some way help them and, and spark something in them mm-hmm. uh, like that chaplain did for me. And so that's like, you know, it's very challenging, but I, I could see why most people wouldn't want to venture into that yeah. But for me, I'm like, let's let's go, you know, let's do it, because I'm always looking to help those that are in most need and most difficult to reach.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I don't work with, with with younger people, but I imagine it must be a lot more challenging. I mean, I guess your backstory must help. I mean, because I guess you have been with some of the kids you're working with, you have been in their position that must help them connect you, I would imagine the fact it that you, under, you understand don't you I mean for somebody yeah. I mean you understand what were they going through perhaps so I guess that mm-hmm. must really help with the connection
1: yeah it does yeah. It, it does and I think that's a huge part of it I think that that the fact that um they can kind of you know when they look at me they could see somebody that they you know um that they could identify with in some way you know through my struggle when I tell them my story it's like yeah now they have, you know, maybe part of my story is something that they're going through right now, or maybe something that they've been through, yeah. or something that they um that they know somebody that's been through. Yeah. You know, they might have an uncle, a brother, a dad that's in prison, you know. Um, and they and then they see me, and it's like, okay, well, you know, now they have hope for that uncle, you know, dad or brother mm-hmm. because they like, you know, okay, if this guy can get out and he was like, all the things that they were, he can do it. And I think that you make a connection there. Yeah. And then I think it's also a huge part of it is they just feel my passion. Like you can tell when somebody's in a room and they're just there because they're getting paid. You can tell when somebody's just there because, you know, that's their, their job. But ultimately um, they're not passionate about it. That's not their purpose, but like, I'm so aligned with my purpose that it's undeniable. Like when I'm in there and I know I'm speaking to them because it's real, like I'm really trying to help them. And I think they feel that. I think that kids are a lot more intelligent than what we think and their, their, their ability to feel and, 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 you know a person you know is 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 far more advanced than what we think um and so I think they feel that too they know like this guy is really here trying to help so let me give him the time and listen and then maybe through that listening you know that's when the change starts
0: yeah yeah and then the the kind of being aligned with your purpose piece again yeah I think people can totally get that I mean, somebody could be standing in front of those kids. They could be there for the paycheck. They go. I mean, you are still yeah. good. They're there, right? But but when somebody stands there and they're really passionate about what they do, it just ripples out, doesn't it? People get it. I think old, young. I mean, it, it's just it just it's difficult to even find the words to describe it. But it just brings an energy, I think, really to the room that, that, that I guess people, yeah. the people you work with kind of pick up on. Really, just wanted to just rewind a bit. Could I ask you just a bit more about the self help groups? in prison and just what led you to set them up and just kind of what experiences you had within them? Because I guess when people start opening up, there must've been a lot of trauma in the room, I'm guessing.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, you know, everybody has a story and, yeah. um, you know, you could write so many movies after the stories that I've heard from the men in prison. Um, I mean, I've heard the worst things that, you know, possibly happen to a person in their life. Yeah. right there in those rooms um, with those guys who are, you know, serving life in prison or a lot of time. And that's just their trauma, but that's not even to mention, you know, the crimes they committed, which is also mostly murder and, yeah. you know, the guilt, the guilt that they feel, the shame that they feel, um, you know, and the things they have to deal with every single day, knowing that they took somebody's life. And like you mentioned earlier, the ripple effect of that, knowing that they hurt, um, you know, the families that are connected to that person that they murdered, you know, because once you change, then you have, then, you know, you can no longer, you know, hide um, those, those feelings anymore. Because a lot of times when we do things to hurt people, you know, we deal with them by living this persona of, okay, I'm a gang member, I'm a violent criminal, you know, I'm hurting more people, that's just what I do. You, you take on that, you embody that yeah. identity. But once you change and you're like, I'm no longer going to be that person, like how do you deal with all the people you hurt yeah. right and the only way to deal with that is to make amends and you make amends the best way you can which is to first become the best person you can become and then go help another person you know and that helping another person could be just telling them yeah. something that they need to hear to help them get through a day uh working with them to st- to now help them get you know their life together and then eventually when you get out you can you know reach out and help more people but um, yeah, being in those groups, you know was was very um you know it's painful it's painful yeah. because you have to talk about you know the things that you went through as a child yeah. you have to talk about the crime you committed you have to talk about forgiveness and remorse and empathy, and then you have to start talking about how you can do things better and it's a painful process, but you know like i I think that it's that's that's where all the that's the paradigm shift that's where it's like you see like okay redemption is real you know like forgiveness and forgiving yourself is real it's not just something you say because it sounds good like I've actually seen you know grown men who have commit killed two three people um you know forgive themselves and that's a that's a powerful moment um, yeah. that I've never seen since I've been out. It's just something you just have to be live through to really, truly understand it.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, that I'm really connecting with the power at that moment. I mean, self-forgiveness is, you know, is so important. And I guess from what you say, Carlos, that gang members, they'll, they'll, they'll have their persona, you know, I'm a gang member, this is what I do, and then they'll do But then once they start changing, all of the guilt and all of the empathy and the shame will come up, which must be, goodness me, it must be totally overwhelming some of the lifers when when they start to really connect with the empathy for the people that have suffered goodness yeah and then i guess the healing of that also very powerful i mean in in your book and i'm kind of referencing it here a little bit you talk about building self-confidence after years of self-doubt and you say one of one of the things you say is practice self-compassion and i guess that is you know what we're talking about here could you say a little bit around what that is? I mean, for you and for you know, in terms of your program, practicing self-compassion. Well, I mean, yeah. what is it? What do you do? What? Yeah.
1: Well, it's it's like one of the questions that people often ask is like, what would you tell your, you know, nine-year-old self, your ten-year-old self, your thirteen-year-old self? Like, if you were to see him now, who, what would you tell him? And I think that that's where compassion starts. This compassion starts with. You know, going back to, you know, that kid, you know, that kid that used to play baseball or used to go to Catholic school or, you know, that used to just dream of being an astronaut. You go back and you yeah. you you talk to that kid, you write a letter to that kid, which ultimately is yourself. And then that's when you start to realize that, um, you know, you're a human being worthy of having a good life and you're not, you know, um, you're not the sum of your worst acts. You're better than that. And it's you just are like an onion, and you just need to peel away those layers to yeah. get to the core of who you truly are, and you're not that fake persona that you've developed, you know, that gang member, that person that, you know, that that just got lost, they got caught up in, you know, the trauma, yeah. and um, you let that, you let your environment overcome you. you, you know, you can forgive yourself because that's not you, you know, you gotta, so it's going back to um, I- identifying, you know, those impact events in your life, you know, when you were a kid, what are those things that, you remember that you know that caused you to go down a certain way and like i mentioned earlier for me it was Mm -hmm. like seeing chris commit suicide was one of those impact events and you know i so you have to empathize and you have to put yourself um in a different mind frame and analyze you know the the child that you were when all that was happening the youth the young person and then you start to be compassionate because you realize that you know you not it's not really who you are it's just who you became but you can overcome that and once you realize that then you start to work on yourself you start to care about yourself and then that's when the change happens so um you have to have a level of self-compassion if you want to truly change yeah and so there's just it's just processes of doing that and that's what I try to do too with the with the people I work with is to get them to understand that um you know that you aren't that person that people may say you are you know even even in prison when you go to prison they label you they give you a paper saying that you're now a convicted criminal and that you have a number you know and you're talked to like you're less than human because you're in prison and so you have to overcome that and that's the mindset shift that needs to happen so that's what i do and it's the same out here you know it's the same out here people grow up in certain areas and they feel like they have to be a part of a gang because they grew up in that area but no you don't and so you know, part of that is is to you know have that talk with your with yourself, have a real yeah. talk with yourself, and and identify those areas that created that negative change, and then start you know doing the um, law of replacement and replacing those negative behaviors with now positive ones.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I really love that strategy. Yeah, because I guess the child is you know, I mean, all children are born kind of innocent and open for anything, but environmental factors, I guess, cause people to go in directions that perhaps they wouldn't choose. I mean, goodness me! When you're getting people in the room to go back to, to go back to, you know, those young ages, that also must be really powerful. I'm guessing people have big emotional reactions, probably at times. It's, it's kind of a therapy model. I, I kind of do that in therapy sometimes. It's like inner child work. When you get people to go back to the to the inner child, sometimes, you know, it's yeah. very, very powerful. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I know we're running out of time, but I, I wanted to just to pick up on education. I mean, this is a big, you know, there's there's a whole chapter in your book about it. It's a big part of your story. I mean, what would you say about education? Because, I mean, you've, I mean, this is part of the, you know, this is one of the ways you've really kind of developed, isn't it? You've just embraced education. Could you maybe say a little bit more about your own journey and maybe why it's important for others?
1: Yeah, uh, uh, you know, education for, I believe education is, you know, a part, a huge part of transformation. It's a part of you becoming the person you want to become you won't ever get there if you don't educate yourself Um, for me um education was something that got me through you know days when i was in solitary confinement when you know all i could think about was you know how i'm going to end my life or how i'm going to um you know make it through the next day i knew that like education made me a little bit better the next day like if i learned something new today yeah. You know, tomorrow I'm going to be, a, I have a little bit of improvement in who I am as a person. And, you know, once I started to educate myself, that's when the change really started to happen because now I was receiving the answers to the questions that I had, which was why was I, you know, not able to sleep at night? Why was I having nightmares? Why was I feeling guilty about things? And yeah. um, had I not educated myself, I would have never found the answers. And so education is the answer and yeah. education is the answer to everything that you want to know. You know, like if you want to live a better life, you have to educate yourself and understand how you have to go about doing that, what steps you need to take. And if you want to make it in this world, you know, you have to continue to educate yourself to be able to keep up with how quick that it changes. And so education is a huge part of overcoming trauma. It's a huge part of personal success and getting into the mind frame that, you know, you have to be a lifelong learner. You know, your education doesn't just stop after you leave college you keep learning and just get used to it because um, that's just the way that it has to be. And, um, and you can find education everywhere. You know, the world is your university and everybody and everything in it is a teacher. And if you look at it like that, then you'll learn so much and you'll gain so much. And then in turn, that'll complement everything else and, and just make you feel more confident. You know, it'll make you feel, um, you know, like you have more insight into what's going on, you know, you'll have be able to help others. So much comes from that. So I wanted to end the book on that. And I wanted to, um, because I feel that, you know, education, is like the thing that you just have to get in the mind frame that it's just never going to stop. Keep yeah. learning, keep learning, keep growing, keep looking for opportunities to better yourself. And it's through education that you can do that.
0: Yeah. I mean, absolutely agree. Yeah. I mean, yeah. lifelong learning and there's so much joy in, in education. Yeah. I mean, we're kind of reaching the end now. If people, I mean, obviously we'll put all your links on our social media sites, Carlos, but if people want to get hold of you for any of the things that you do, how do they, how do they get in touch with you?
1: Yeah. So uh, www.howtobattle.com. Um, I'm on Instagram at howtobattle on YouTube at howtobattle and as well as TikTok um, and LinkedIn, all social media, media platforms at how to battle. Um, you know, I do coaching programs for the youth. I do coaching programs for men. I do coaching programs that are faith-infused. I do coaching and I just did a coaching uh program that is actually a correspondence program if you want to send to the people if you know anybody that's incarcerated. So that one is like a correspondence program. And then once they complete it, they're able to continue to be a part of um, you know, the network upon their release to help them transition. Yeah. So, uh, but all that stuff, you know, you can find me on uh, my website. You can email me if you want to know more information about that. And, you know, uh, also links to my, to my book too.
0: Yeah. And, and I've, I've read your book and I would highly recommend it. Yeah. And where we'll put links to, to all of those things on our, on our social media sites. Is there anything before we finish? Is there anything that I haven't asked you, Carlos, that you would like to think you would like to say or. Um, I
1: think. Look, you've asked me amazing questions and I, and I thank you for that. Um, it's it's I have a pleasure to meet you and to now know you. And I definitely want to keep in touch. But um, I just want to say that if anybody out there is listening and they're like, you know, at a point in their life where they're trying to make a shift and they're trying to make a change, um, find somebody to help you. You know, I think that for me, I have coaches and mentors, you know, around me all the time people that I can call and meet up with on Zooms weekly. Um, Be open to finding somebody to help you. And and maybe it's me, maybe it's not. If it's not me, that's fine. Find somebody else that you can connect with. Find somebody, a coach, a mentor, um, somebody in your life that you can talk to and that you can can help you improve, right? Somebody that kind of, you know, is more advanced than you or inspires you and start to ask them for help. People want, it, want you to ask for help. So yeah. I think that that's a starting point for people out there that are at a stage where they just don't know what to do next, um, or they're unhappy and they don't know how to how to get happy and, and how to have a better life. Find people to help you. I know for me, that's been huge in my whole entire life, you know, starting from the chaplain into now who I am today. Yeah. Um, so seek help. You know, that's yeah. my message. Um-
0: that, that that's a really nice message and you know really inspiring I mean a whole interview I just want to thank you again Carlos for for coming on. this is going to be an amazing interview for our listeners so I really appreciate it and it has been fantastic
1: to meet you. Thank you appreciate you
0: again, I'd just like to thank Carlos for coming on the show. What an inspirational story what an inspirational man um I often talk about transforming, suffering into helping others and you know what a wonderful thing that is and i mean that really really fits carlos and his story um and i guess the the meeting with chaplain when carlos was in solitary confinement was you know was a transcendent moment really you know a moment that was a catalyst for carlos moving in another direction um and also talking around you know some of the things that set up in prison the self-help group with with the lifers what a powerful group that must have been and what an outlet you know for for some of these people that you know had experienced probably trauma you know from early on to be able to open up their trauma and feel safe enough and comforted enough by the group to you know to open up the trauma get in touch with it and hopefully process it I would really recommend Carlos's book, The Price. I've read it a couple of times. I'm holding it up for viewers, people that are watching the YouTube channel. The Price I found to be two things, really, amongst amongst others, really. But it's a real practical guide, I think, for growth and transcendence. And Carlos will talk about things like routine and some real kind of practical ways to, to grow and to develop education is another one it's a big chapter it's the last chapter of the book but there is also something very very transcendent i think uh, about the book it's yes it is about developing your life positive change moving forward in the direction you want but it is also very much about inspiration finding your purpose so it really has both qualities there is a practical aspect and routine is another one that cast talks about in his book so practical steps in order to help you maybe push through trauma and push through into personal growth processing and change but also finding meaning moving into a transcendent space finding your inspiration i mean all of these are real kind of transcendent kind of peak um types of experience um, and types of being Um, types of uh, way of ways of being in the world so i'd highly recommend his book please find all of carlos's links on our social media sites Um, how to battle has carlos's website has a lot of really really interesting links on there so i would encourage our listeners to to check it out Um, carlos mentioned another book it'd be really nice i think if we could get carlos on when he's written his, his second book uh, in order that he can promote the book in the UK, Australia, and, you know, internationally where our listeners are. Um, but also it'd be really, really nice to talk to Carlos again and, you know, hear a bit more around his work. Some of the work Carlos does, it, it's really, really awe-inspiring, isn't it? You know, the work with the youth, the work with, the setting up, you know, a, a correspondence course for people that are incarcerated that they can, not only do the course, you know, and I guess heal and grow, but also connect with the community outside. Um, he offers so much faith-based groups. There's a lot going on, you know, motivational coaching and and the motivational speaking as well to, you know, to different groups. Really, really fantastic work. Just the epitome, I think, of someone who's changed their life and who's transmuted their own suffering into a life of helping others. I I just think that's really wonderful. Um, So thank you. I really hope our listeners have enjoyed this one. Um, We've got a few more coming up soon. Um, I'll be interviewing Anna Lomprier, who's gonna be talking about her lived experience with menopause. Um, Anna, as you remember, came on um, in series three, I think, and talking about her her, her coaching and her work empowering women. so look out for that one hopefully that'll be next week Um, but as always i just want to thank our listeners for listening without you we wouldn't have a show and be good to yourselves be good to each other and be good to the planet i'll see you soon on the next episode Thanks again for listening to the show. If you have been affected by any of the topics on this show or any other of our shows, um, if you're in the UK, then please reach out. Um, Samaritans can be contacted on 116 123. The GP is also a good source of um, contact and can be the gateway for counselling services and other mental health support. Um, Reach out to your mental health support team, um, mental health first aider, um, or trusted friend, colleague, or family member. We have a lot of international listeners, um, so if you're listening from a non-UK country, um, then please reach out to, you know, your country's healthcare and mental health care providers. Um, and remember, it's okay not to be okay.